Thank you, worship team. Uh, this morning, it's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker, Pastor Justin Mullins. Uh, as he'll expound on a little bit, uh, Justin has some history with Central, good history, not, not questionable history, uh, attending here as a child with his family and attending here a little bit uh, after college. Uh, Justin is a seminary graduate and has been pastoring with Bellevue Church, Bellevue Baptist Church in their Arlington campus. Many of you may have heard that that Arlington campus closed in April, and so he and his wife Heather have been visiting here while they discern what God has next for them. We've, we've asked him to come and share the word with, him, with us, and we're very glad that uh, he accepted that offer. So would you please welcome Pastor Justin Mullins. Thanks, man. Well, good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. It's a different crowd this hour. I had to wear a suit and tie last hour, and I like wearing jeans, so I'm just going to leave it at that. I am excited about this opportunity. Um, preaching today under the blessing and authority of the elders here at this church, and I'm excited. I believe I have a word for each one of you this morning from the Lord. Let me just introduce myself to you. Um, Justin Mullins. I have a picture of our family that we'll show you. So that's my wife, Heather, on the left. That's my four-year-old, Madeline, on, uh, that uh, Heather's holding. And then I'm holding our firecracker uh, two-year-old, Anna. And uh, so we haven't slept in four years. <laughs> it's been great. All the, all the young parents, y'all, y'all tracking with me? Yeah, a little bit. Um, and so we're grateful to be here. Um, like uh, Pastor David said, uh, I have a good history here at the church um, as a child, I attended when y'all were back that way on Winchester in what was affectionately called by my four-year-old mind, the spaceship. And uh, I got my first girlfriend there holding hands with her like a stud walking down the hallway. I was there for the wrong reasons. I was still four years old, but, you know, it was good. <clears throat> then when uh, I graduated from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, go balls, uh, my wife had uh, one semester left, and so I was attending here with uh, Ernie Fry, and I sat right back there and uh, just was poured into. So I really value that time, uh, my history of this church. So it kind of feels like I'm coming home a little bit today and uh, have a good word to share with you this morning out of Romans chapter 8. And so I invite you to turn there if you haven't yet. If you're watching online, we want to thank you for joining with us, and I uh, want to encourage you to track along with us. Uh, as we study this topic this morning, this biblical principle of trust. What about trust? Well, trust is a tricky topic in a lot of circles. You know, the more you know someone and the more we see in that person a pattern of life that warrants our trust, the more we find ourselves able to place our trust in that person and what she says, he or she says or does, and we can learn to rely on that person. And at the same way, trust is fragile. It is easy to break. It is difficult to regain. As Proverbs eleven thirteen says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. So we're going to be studying this morning about, you know, can we really trust God in the world that we live in as the circumstances of our life changes on a monthly, weekly, or sometimes daily basis, can we trust in Him? Can we have a bold confidence, a sure securance, a surety in God that never fails? Do we trust Him 
based on what he's given us. Believing in his promises in all circumstances, even when those promises seem contrary to what God has done in our life. Because here's the big problem. Here's the issue we face today as a church, especially younger folks. Far too many of us as believers, we believe in a God that we do not trust. We believe in him for our salvation. We believe in Jesus and his atoning work on the cross for our sins. But at an ethical level, on a daily basis, many times we fail to trust him. There seems to be a disconnect between placing your faith in Christ to get you to heaven and your trust in Christ to navigate you during the different seasons of life, your time on earth. And so we need to fill in the gap between what I expect and what I actually experience with trust. Today, will we choose to believe the best about God regardless of what happens in our lives? When things get crazy, you have another kid, job changes, health issue, are we quick to go to the defense of God? Not that he needs our defense, or do we communicate a lack of trust? That's what lost people do, right? We want to be, we want to be a testimony of the faithfulness of God when things in life change. And so I want to put forth to you one big idea this morning. We're going to see it from our main text. This big idea is this. If you can trust God with your soul, then you can trust God with everything else. I mean, your soul is dependent upon your view of Scripture, and if you've, if you've trusted your life to Jesus, certainly should we not also trust Him with everything else in our life? And maybe this morning you're not a Christian. Maybe you're listening online and you've kind of gotten away from the church and uh, the church has hurt you or you've gone through some life circumstances and you're thinking, Justin, you don't know what I've been through, man. I'm just telling you, I've been through a lot in life. Or maybe you say, you don't know, Justin, you don't know what God has allowed to happen to me. You don't know the loss that I've experienced. You don't know the pain that I've experienced. I don't, but Jesus does. And he intercedes on our behalf to the Father in heaven, and he is faithful and true to where we can trust him in everything. So look down with me in Romans chapter 8. Very famous text from this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we pick up in the middle of a dialogue about how Jesus' spirit is within us, how the Spirit is interceding on our behalf and how we can live a life filled with His Spirit. And this is what it says, verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, so that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. So, what? What then shall we say in response to this? Here it is. If God is for us, who can be against us? Here's our key verse this morning. If you can trust God with your soul, you can trust Him with everything else. Look down at verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. 
who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, absolutely not. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you illuminate this text in our hearts to help us to trust you. Lord, to trust you completely in all circumstances, knowing, Lord, that Jesus is interceding on our behalf, that you've given us your very best, that heaven can give no more, Lord, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you can trust God with your soul, you can trust him with everything else. As Psalm 910 says, those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Jeremiah 29, a lot of people know verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Verses 12 and 13 add to that and says that if we seek God with all of our heart, we'll find him. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. Psalm 13, 5 says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Psalm 31, 14, But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. These musicians knew how to trust God. So as we think about this idea that if you can trust God with your soul, you can trust him with every area of your life, with everything else, I want to encourage you with these three biblical principles that we see from this text. The first is this. Understanding our position as believers helps us to trust God. We know who we are and who we are not. As verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Wait, so you're telling me that the pain that I've been experiencing, the loneliness I've experienced, the loss that I have had in my life, the job situation I'm in, how tired and tired I am, raising kids, trying to do everything right, you're telling me that God uses that for my good? Absolutely. What is that good? That good is Christ-likeness. God is wanting to use every part of your life, every experience you have to make you more like his son Jesus, to live a life that honors him. For those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. There it is, <laughs> making you more like Jesus. He might be firstborn among many. Man, mankind is not the center of the universe. We are tarnished. Our thinking is flawed. We make mistakes. You don't believe this. Next time you're at a hotel and you're at the buffet there and you see 10,000 pieces of bacon, the glorious thing with the light shining off of it, right? The glisten on the crispy bacon. Y'all are tracking with me. I see some nods. Okay, all the guys are nodding. All the girls are like, no, seriously, that's bad for you. I'm vegan. No, I'm kidding. If you're vegan, you're still cool in my book. You're just wrong. Okay, um, so <laughs> I didn't say that in the first service. Get back on track, Justin. See those 4,000 pieces of bacon, you're faith, faced with a decision, right? Do I take the whole pan? It's paid for, right, baby? I don't know. What you should say is, Satan, get behind me, right? <laughs> My thinking is flawed. We have missed the mark, so to speak. That's what sin is, disobedience to God. God's, God's plan for us is perfection. It's our sin. It has separated us from God. In academic terms, 
A 99% on the final exam is a failing grade to God. We fall short of that. We're flawed. You see this all the time. You get bad advice all the time. You hear people just follow your heart, you know, all that stuff. I've heard recently three pieces of really bad advice. The first is that you should go see the movie The Greatest Showman. That movie's so bad. Don't go see it. I call it the okayest showman. Don't waste your time. Second one is that kale tastes really good. That stuff is nasty. Don't even go there. And the last is that you should cheer for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Horrible, horrible advice. There you go. All Tennessee fans, God's people, here we go, pushing forward, maybe. To quote the fictitious character Sherlock Holmes, the chief proof of man's real greatness lies in his perception of his own smallness. The, char- the author of this book was trying to communicate that the wise Sherlock Holmes knows that great men, great people realize really how small they are. Our position to God is that we're not God. We need him to intercede on our behalf. The, the challenge, one of the challenges that we face is that we have bought into this lie in the church world that God loves sinners more than he loves us. God loves everybody. And I know that God loves sinners, but at the same time, I am a son of God. I've been adopted into his family. And before I'm a pastor, before I'm a father, any of that stuff, my identity is found that I'm a child of the living God. I've been adopted into his family, as the Bible says. Naturally, I'm not part of his family. I'm sinful, right? He's chosen to bring me into his family and give me his inheritance, which is not just heaven. It's his son, Jesus Christ, to live a life that honors him. It's his Holy Spirit. That's the good news that when all things work together for the good of those who love him, is that it is God who is working on our behalf that we need him. We're children of God. We're one of his sheep. That song, it's, it's so, so God-ordained that that happened because in the first service, I quoted uh, that, that text. I paraphrased it where Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. That seems pretty irrational, right, until you're the one that God went after to save. That's how much God loves you. We are his sheep in need of a shepherd. We are a child of the living God. No one can snatch you from his hand. Verse 30 that we read says, Those he called, he also justified. That means you are legally declared righteous before God. And it goes on to say, Those he justified, he will also glorify. That's when we get to heaven, living with God forever. And so for this brief time that we're here on planet Earth, we are living between, as Christians, that justification and that glorification. It's a little sliver of time that we have the opportunity to live a life that trusts the Lord. If you can trust God with your soul, you can trust Him with everything else. And it begins with understanding our position before Him. God makes every part of your life happen for a reason, and that is that we would love Him. We'd grow more like Jesus. It means that when things get tough, and maybe you're going through a tough season today, Got to make some decisions, got relationship issues, got job issues, got issues with your kids, waiting on the Lord, impatience, all that stuff. Maybe the Lord is pruning you so that you'd bear more fruit, as Jesus said. God is for you. No one can be against you. So part of us understanding how we trust God, if we trust with our souls and trust with everything else, begins with understanding our position. We need God. But it's not just our position. The second principle is this. If you can trust God with your soul, you can trust him with everything else, it continues by understanding God's position. 
Understanding God's position helps us to trust Him. We know who we are, who we are not. We need to understand who God is, right? He is the antithesis of us. He is the opposite of us. Where we, are, where we fall short, He is perfect. Where we are limited, He is powerful. Look down in our text in verse 32. It's our main text. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Saved our soul, everything else. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. You see the gravity of this text, what God has done on your behalf, that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. That is reckless love. As we sing, we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, right? That's just straight scripture right there. It's a great song to sing to the Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ, where we fall short, he is completed. Our sin has separated us from God. Everyone has sinned. We've all disobeyed God. That is just disobeying God's word. That's, he tells us to do stuff, we don't do it in his word. He tells us not to do some things, and we do that. That is our nature that we have inherited from Adam and Eve. But God loved you too much to leave you in that. He provided a way out. And in his omniscience, he understood that was the best way to bring him the most glory. And so God sent his son Jesus to the earth to be born of a virgin. Consequently, he had no sinful nature. He lived a perfect life, perfectly obeying God in every way. And as we've read that it is God who justifies us, he is the one that declares us legally righteous. We need to understand what Jesus has done on our behalf. The term that God uses for this justification, this declaring righteousness, is like it's the scene of a courtroom. It's a legal action that God has made on your behalf. And the charges have been brought against you for all the wrong that you've done in your life and the wrong that you will do. And Jesus steps in our place and says, you can take the charges that were applied to him or her and bring them upon myself. Jesus took that punishment for our sins. That punishment was separation from God. Jesus took that charge. He paid the penalty, was dead for three days in hell, paid for our sins on the cross, and he overcame that and came back to life. Now, the real miracle of the cross is not that Jesus rose from the dead. It's that he overcame our sin. That was infinitely more miraculous. And he did that for you and for me. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reckless love that God has given on our behalf. And that is our reason why we are here today, to preach and to learn about that reckless love. And if he has done that on your behalf, it is God who has done that, God who has declared us righteous. We need to understand who we are and who he is. That is a reckless love. As Psalm chapter 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. We're to trust him. We trust him because we know who he is. If there's anyone we can trust, surely it's the Lord. Great illustration of this comes out of Daniel chapter 6. And maybe you haven't read the Old Testament, or maybe you're new to Christianity, you're still checking things out. Daniel is um, a prophet in the Old Testament, and the Lord had blessed him and had given him uh, the opportunity to interpret dreams, and he's really, uh, he's in a foreign land in the midst of a foreign culture, and he is choosing to take a, stand with, take a stand for the Lord. 
And he's given the opportunity. Laws are passed that ban the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. And Daniel says, I'm going to stand with the Lord no matter what. I'm going to trust him. And as a consequence for that, he's thrown into a pit with lions that are going to eat him. Bad way to die, right? Not a good thing. Saying, Lord, this is what I get for following you. This is what I get for trusting you. You're going to throw this in my face and really, literally kill me? What's going to happen? The king threw him in there. Look down in Daniel chapter 6, verse 19. Completely trusting the Lord, Daniel exemplifies this. At, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? He just laid out <laughs> the whole trusting the Lord right there, right? Your God, the living God, whom you've served continually, ups and downs of life, change of circumstances, in slavery, thrown into the lion's den, has even able to rescue you from the lions. Daniel answered, May the king, king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I, have, I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong to you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to Daniel to lift Daniel out of the den, and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him. Why? Because he trusted in his God. God rewarded his faithfulness in trusting him. We are not God. It is the Lord who does this. It is the Lord who redeems, and it is the Lord who gives us everything that we need to thrive through the shed blood of his son, Jesus. I like what Tony Evans says about trusting God. He says, when it comes to navigating our lives, most of us start with ourselves, and then we work back to God. We start with our own thinking, our own perceptions, our own orientation, our own experiences, and when that doesn't work, we say, okay, let's try God. Let's see what God has to say. He says there would be a lot less pain in life if we started with God. Where do you go first? And something's thrown into the mix, messes up your life, do you, do you go to God first? It's easy to complain. You got parents of little kids, teenagers, <laughs> something like that. Is, your life is being held by a thread. One little thing goes out of balance. It'll throw you off. You say, I'm just going to trust the Lord in this because it's going to make me more like Jesus in the end. If you can trust Jesus, trust God with your soul, you can trust him with everything else. The final principle that we see from this text is this. Understanding our relationship with God helps us to trust Him. We know who we are now. We know who God is. We need to understand this relationship. How does this all fit together? Look down in verse 34. Romans eight thirty-four. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus died. More than that, was raised to life and is at the right hand of God. What's Jesus doing? What's he doing right now? Well, he's interceding for us. He's interceding on your behalf. Jesus right now is interceding for you. If you say, Justin, I'm still checking out this Christianity thing. I don't know much about Jesus. You know, I'm just interested. Let me tell you something. Jesus is interceding on your behalf right now. God is not slow concerning his promise. He's patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Romans, or uh, 2 Peter 3, 9. God's Jesus is interceding on your behalf. Christian, Today, Jesus is interceding on your behalf. And that's some good news, if you ask me. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. 
Paul is progressing through his argument here. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now he knows the answer. He says, well, Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? It's pretty all encompassing, right? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to, the, to be slaughtered. No. No, 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 no. In all things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He's really talking about the extent of your sin. So as your sin goes, the love of Jesus, his blood covers it even more. It is God who is working in us. So what's the good news for us? I'm convinced, Paul says. Justin is convinced today. Are you convinced that neither life nor death neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the love of God. That's the reckless love of God. Paul's speaking here in his own personal experience. He has been gone through the ringer, persecuted in pretty much every possible way, and he's saying all through that, Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can. God has given you today His Spirit to provide you with the strength where you get to choose to honor Him and the hardships, to treasure your relationship that you have with Him. You are a child of God. You don't have to fix everything yourself. Sometimes we have trust in the Lord. As As a man, I'm pretty much convinced I can fix anything in about three minutes. Okay? It's kind of the idea, like, you don't have to, like, tell your husband every, you know, you know to fix the car every six months. So eventually he'll get around to it, right? I'm convinced I can fix anything. If Heather tells me, I got a problem, like, got the solution right here. Let's fix it right now. And then she says, no, just listen to me. I'm like, no, why would I listen? I can fix it right now. It doesn't make any sense. Ladies, you know, it's a lot of times it's easy. I'm going to manipulate a situation. I'm going to manipulate a person. I'm going to get around this. I'm going to figure out my way to fix a situation in and of myself. Say, no, no, no. You trust the Lord in this. You obey Him completely in that. God has given you the choice to honor Him with that. And nothing, but it begins and ends with understanding our relationship with God. I think about that relationship. I think about my four-year-old, Madeline, who is, if, if you see a four-year-old run up hugging everybody, she's your stranger, your friend to her. She loves everybody, full of life, but she's also a drama queen, cries at everything. And uh, my two-year-old, she'll put up a fight. Anybody have those, like, little resilient kids? Anyone in here? My two-year-old, back. let's go, Daddy. Come on. I'm going to knock you out, son. I'll, I'm going to take you down, little girl. My four-year-old is a little more sensitive, but recently we were, uh, we were potty training our two-year-old. Okay, so y'all pray for me, okay? It's my biggest prayer request this morning. And after many failed attempts, we just decided to put paws on it. Parents can relate. Don't look at me so holy, okay? <laughs> and we failed, and we tried and tried, and we failed, and uh, it's a work in progress. But we had a, on our counter in our kitchen, we had a little um, container of M&Ms. So when our daughter you know, did well, we would give her an M&M. And uh, one day, uh, as time progressed and she stopped doing it, it became Daddy's treat jar. So when I got hungry after dinner, I'll grab some M&Ms, right? Uh, it's better than bacon, I suppose. Uh, and one day we get done, we get done eating, and I go up to the counter, and the jar's missing. I say, Heather, what happened to them and them? She goes, I don't know. Turn my four-year-old deer in headlights. She got caught. She knew what had happened. 
And, uh, <clears throat> and so I said, Matt, Maddie, what, what happened to these, to the treats? Do you know where they are? <laughs> yeah, just get the quivering lip, won't say anything. I'm like, okay, guilty. I'm giving, about to put the fear of God in her, right? I'm about to <laughs> get her in shape. And so Heather's like, calm down, Justin. I'm like, no, no, no. She has stolen from us. She has lied to us. She is a sinner. You know, I need to, you know, <laughs> I'm going through the whole deal. Just, just calm down. And so we finally, I found out she had taken the jar up to her room, hidden them under her bed. She was rationing them out each morning. It was a whole complex deal. You know how four-year-olds are. And so we get up there and she is just bawling. She is so upset. She has gotten caught. And of course, I'm a teacher by nature, and so my way of disciplining our kids, I just wear them out with my words, right? I say, all right, what did, what did we do wrong? What do we need to do better next time? What would Jesus have done? Let's ask for forgiveness. You need to ask this person. Yeah, you know, I go through the whole deal, and they're like, okay, Dad, I get it. Just like, will you spank me? Can I just move on, right? And uh, so she was so upset. She was just crying her eyes out, and she kind of did that like awkward, like, I want to give him a hug, but I'm scared of the man kind of thing, you know? And uh, I said, come here. I gave her a big hug. And I said, I love you so much. And she said, you still love me? And I'm like, yeah, it's just M&Ms. It's okay. Um, and, and I had to teach my four-year-old, like, daddy loves you. Nothing's going to change that. Now, if we're honest parents, we love our children, right? We don't like them sometimes, right? <laughs> we love them. Sometimes, you know, we're right on the edge. We don't like them too much. Uh, I just tell her, I said, baby, I love you. Nothing's going to change that. I'm your, I'm your daddy. I'm your father. I love you. I love you so much. I love you more than you know. And Heather and I joke. You know when your parents like would whip you as a kid back when that was legal? And, uh, and you say, they say, this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? It's like, no, it doesn't, because this really hurts, Mom. Um, it's the idea that, like, no, that's kind of true. As a parent, you're kind of learning these things. You just love your kids so much. And I'm trying to teach my four-year-old. She was convinced. Dad's done with me. He's gone. And I'm never going to see him again. He hates me. It's like, no, baby, I love you. You need to understand my relationship. Not, that's not going to change. I might be upset with what you did, but I love you. You know, God loves you with way more love we could ever comprehend. As the Bible says, an everlasting love. Nothing's going to change that. Now, you're sinning. You're doing your own thing. You're going your own way. That relationship is not going to be healthy. You're not going to be in, you know, have that unity with Christ. But God loves you. Christian, you are a child of God. He loves you more than you know. Yes, he loves sinners, but he loves you. He knows what you're going through. He wants to make you more like his son, Jesus. We need to understand that relationship with him. Look down in Psalm chapter 8. You look up on the screens, you'll see this. I think this illustrates it well. Our relationship with God, who he is, who we are. Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. Beginning of life. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Here it is. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? I shared this verse with my four-year-old, Maddie. We were getting out of the truck one night. She looked up at the stars and said, Daddy, look at the moon. That sense of wonder that little kids have. I said, that's right, baby. Who made that? Jesus. Jesus is the answer for everything for pastor's kid, right? Jesus. I said, that's right. Why did he make that? I don't know. Well, to let us know how great he is and how little we are. God is so good and he's so glorious and he is in heaven right now. Jesus is interceding on your behalf. He created the stars and the moon. Lord, who are, who are we that you're mindful of us today? We don't deserve it, can't earn it, 
that you gave us that reckless love. Our relationship with him, Jesus interceding on our behalf. What can separate us from the love of God, the God that did that in the heavens? Nothing. Not death, nor life, angels, demons, present, the future, time, powers, depth, height, anything. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you believe that today, if you've believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've trusted him with your soul, you can trust him with everything else. Jesus, when he was on the cross, his final words were what? Father, I entrust, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Jesus, he empathizes with us. He knows our weakness. A couple nights before, what? He was in the garden praying, Lord, let this cup pass from me if possible, but not my will, but your will be done. Both hands. He understood his responsibility. He understood God's sovereignty in that. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. I commit myself to you. Now, this group is a little different than the group from the first service. And I got a lot of nods when I started talking about this, but I want to share this with you. <clears throat> if you think about your life, you think about trusting the Lord in everything, do you have any regrets? I think we all do, right? We should. A study done by these two social psychologists found that when they studied people more likely in this range, in this room, about regrets, 53% regretted the bad things that they had done more so than things that they had not done, the good things they had not done. But you study people in their 70s and 80s and 90s, and you ask them, you say, what's your biggest regret in life? 84% to 16% said, it is the things that I left on the table. It is the good things that I did not do. That's what people regret at the end of their life. And when they study these, especially Christians who um, are near death or they're towards the end of their life, two themes come up. The first is that they say, would you wish you, what do you wish you had done more? They say, I wish I would have prayed more, and I wish I would have trusted God more. Hindsight is twenty twenty. As they look back on their life, they're like, well, I know God was faithful. It's just hard in the moment to do that. And that doesn't mean that, you know, at the end of our life, we won't have some deep-seated regrets about the things we wish we hadn't said or done or opportunities we left on the table. <clears throat> but it means that, it means in theological terms that we don't need to fixate too much on just practicing holiness by subtraction, as they say. I don't do this, I do that, and I'm okay. The problem with that is that you can do nothing wrong, but still not do anything right, so to speak, leaving things on the table. And as we've studied this text and seen our relationship with God, we've seen who we are, who God is, and the relationship with that, that if we can trust God with our soul, we can trust Him with everything else, we can know. Not, the question is not, should we trust God? The question that I want to leave you with, is there, is, is there any good reason not to trust Him? We've seen what he's done on our behalf. Is there any good reason not to trust him? So if you're here this morning, you're listening online, and you think, man, you don't know what I've been through, Justin. I'm unemployed. I'm, I lost my job. If you can trust God with your soul, you can trust him with everything else. If you're tired this morning, young mom, you're tired, you've been waiting, you're worried, if you can trust God with your soul, you can trust him with that. To the couple in here that's been praying for a child, God hasn't given you one yet. So you can trust God with your soul. You can trust him with everything else.
You got a health issue? Trust God with your soul. You can trust Him with everything else. You got a wayward child, wayward grandchild out of your control? If you can trust God with your soul, you can trust Him with everything else. Psalm 84 12 says, Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will trust in you. You can trust God with your soul. You can trust him with everything else. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are good. And as we sang, Lord, you have given us a reckless love. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Lord, in your providence, in your wisdom, you've given us your son, Jesus. And Lord, if you've given us your son, Jesus, how much more will you give us everything else that we need? To live a life that honors you. And Lord, if we are not right now going through much hardship, I know we will soon. And we're going to be faced with the decision, Lord, do we choose to trust in Jesus, in your everlasting, perfect, eternal word, Lord, are we going to go to our own way? Help us, Lord, to understand who we are. Help us, Lord, not to be like the believer that believes in you but does not trust you, but, Lord, to be a child of the living God who knows without a shadow of a doubt that we can trust you in every part of our life. We're grateful for this morning. We're grateful for the example that Paul has given us. And Lord, we're grateful for Jesus. Lord, as we respond right now through worship, Lord, I pray for anyone here who heard the message and is thinking, Lord, I've never trusted you completely, not for my salvation. Lord, I pray today that they would respond. They'd walk down, take one of the prayer team members by the hand and say, I want to give my life to Christ. Lord, for anyone this morning who needs prayer, I pray that they would come. Anyone who wants to join this church, who wants to be baptized, Lord, whatever you're doing as you're working in the hearts of people, Lord, I pray today that they trust you and follow you completely. We love you and thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.